following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. All right. Hey, if you're like me, you get to the end of a year or you get to the end of seasons um, and you look into a new one and you take some time just to evaluate what went well and what maybe needs to change in your life. And as I was just thinking as we were worshiping this morning, um, for some of us, 2023 could not come to an end sooner. Uh, some of you had some really hard things that have gone on this year. Um, some of you have had really good things happen. But probably as well, most of us look back at some things that have gone on, and we've just got a little bit of regret, uh, just kind of something that hangs over you. Uh, we all feel this. And that is the beauty of the gospel. I just want to keep this in front of us, that you have a Savior, that you may look back, and the things we're going to talk about today, you're going to, you're going to be convicted. I'm just going to prepare you, right? I know because I was radically convicted again this morning going over my manuscript. And you're going to look back on things and you're going to think, man, I just wish I'd have had a better prayer life. And one of the things that has just, I I get reminded of often in the gospel is the power of the gospel says this to you. You're right. You could have always done something better. But there's a savior who did it perfectly. And that before God, right now, that Savior is interceding and mediating between God for you because you did blow it. And I want you for a moment, before we even think about this sermon today, about what we can, how we can grow in our faith, in your own heart, Just thank God for the perfection of your Savior, that you have Jesus Christ, the righteous, standing in your place so that you who were unrighteous could be declared righteous by God and God could receive you into his family forevermore. So that when you look back on your last year with regret, you can you can confess the sin that happened, but you can lean in to the righteousness of Christ on your behalf. Church, that is a remarkable gift of grace. And so even as you look back, like I do, I look back often. I'm a self-evaluator. I have a tendency to get into a bit of navel-gazing, <laughs> you know, and that leads me to some semblance of self-pity and depression where I see all the things I woulda, coulda, shoulda, and I wish they were different. And what gets me out of that doldrum beyond my wife telling me it's time to go live life and be a man, right? I mean, that's one charge, right? Uh, What gets me out of that is literally the Lord reminding me of the wonder of our Savior. So even as we talk this morning about working out our salvation, you must keep in mind, and we'll talk about this in the sermon, we are working it out because we have it. And if you have salvation, that means you have all the hope in the world and all the hope of eternity right in your heart right now. So don't, don't miss that. Okay. And so, you know, you come to the end of the year and you look back and you 
think, I wish I'd have done something different. We begin to make changes. You know, some of us, it's, we're going to come up with a new budget. Maybe it's a new scheduling plan that's going to kind of get us on our spiritual disciplines a little bit better. Usually everything from, from food. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I, I eat by obligation. You know what that means? People make stuff. I'm obligated to eat it. You know what I mean? So at our Christmas party, we had like 74 desserts. So what are you obligated to do? Put 74 desserts on a plate and just eat them? And then you leave and you're like, okay, January 1, this all changes. Right? Our, our, our family life, we think, okay, these are things we want to do in our family. Fun, you know, it's, it's no, it's true and everybody knows this, that January is the biggest time of the year for gym memberships to go up. Right? Some of y'all are about to go, you know, downtown fitness, we're in, I'm going, you know, I mean, I'm fitness first, let's go. I saw a sign today coming in, what's keeping you from getting in shape? And I was like, me. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what's keeping me. I'm getting in shape, round in shape, round is a shape, right? And we do this with our faith. You know, we, we want to put new things in place for our faith. And, and let me just give you a word of caution. There's a danger when it comes to evaluation that isn't just taking us to self-pity and depression. There's a danger as well, especially in matters of faith that we need to be careful about. In over 30 years of Christian ministry, here's what I found. I found that many Christians believe that if they're going to grow in their faith, make an impact on their world, then the same spiritual disciplines just aren't good enough. The same scriptural truths aren't deep enough. And they need to, they need to unlock <clears throat> some spiritual secret that will help them in their Christian life. And year after year, they go through the same cycle. They begin anew in January 1, and by January 6, their reading plan is completely blown up. Their prayer life is missed because they don't have the spiritual secret to finally help them grow in grace. And they get to the end of the year discouraged, spiritually exhausted, because they haven't made progress, and they don't feel like they've made any impact in their world. And we begin to make the mistake listen clearly, of looking for the wrong things for growth and impact. And so as we at CLF look into a new year, here's what I hope. I hope that we will see that God has already set up a way for us to grow. And that God has set up a way for us to make an impact. That's what he wants us to learn today. So here's what we're going to learn. This is out of Philippians Chapter 2, this is our big idea. <clears throat> we grow in faith through the day-by-day power of God at work in us. As we grow, we become more like Jesus and learn how to represent him. We grow in our faith through the day-by-day power of God at work in us. And as we grow, we become more like Jesus and learn how to represent him. Let me just, let me just give you some thoughts here as we're jumping into this. This is so important for you, especially for you. Let me just take on young men real quick. Young guys, if you're in the room, pay attention. You could be ages, I mean, we got our family Sunday, so it could be ages nine all the way up to, you know, I consider myself young, but I'm not. Forty. The tendencies of young men is we're always going to go conquer the next hill. 
Where is the institution or thing that's going to let me make an impact in my world? I just want to challenge you with something. God has already told you what it is. It's the church, the gospel of Christ, and growing faithfully day by day as a man who loves Christ. Young ladies, your challenge in this world is not so much just going to conquer a new hill, but seeing what everybody else is doing and how they look and how, and comparing your life by theirs and thinking you should be somewhere you're not, but God has already spoken. He has said that the day by day faithfulness of putting on in your life the beautiful qualities that God looks upon. Loving Jesus, respecting others, serving others, caring for others, being a woman of God. Those are beautiful in the sight of God. Older men, our challenge is, is that we think we've conquered the hills or we haven't and we have regret for what we haven't done and we begin to check out of the battle that's at hand, handing down this gospel to those who are behind us. And our challenge is we we get mired in our own self-focus. We get mired in the fact that we think the battle's over in a sense because we've already done it and we paid our dues and we lose sight of the day-by-day faithfulness that God calls us to, to be depositing the gospel over and over again to those around us and those who are coming behind us. And older ladies, listen, our, your challenge is that you, you begin to look back upon your life and you, you think of all the things that you wish you could have done differently and you live in a sense of regret and you lose sight of the day-by-day faithful work of God to help you pass this gospel to teach younger women how they should live this life. And in every generation, what you're going to find is there is always this idea of a new secret. And I just want to challenge us this morning. There is no new secret. It is found directly in God's word. And God has given us a plan on how we can grow in our faith and make an impact in our world. And it's going to vary from generation to generation. But you're going to notice it has the same day-by-day faithfulness relying upon the power of God at work within us to transform us, and that helps us make an impact in our world. That's what we're going to see this morning, right? So I want us to really lock into this because it's really important as we move ahead and move forward. Now, you're going to feel in this kind of my, if you will, my thoughts about life. I'm a steady, just move on, don't change, keep grinding, just dude. I'm not looking for big changes in my life. I'm asking one big question. What is it in my life that keeps me from being faithful to Christ? That's how I think. And then, what is it in my life, in my schedule, and my Bible reading plan, that's just keeping me, locking me up from being day-by-day faithful? Because I just think in terms of faithfulness, not in terms of big impact. Because I believe long-term faithfulness will have eventual effect. And I think you'll see that in God's word. Now, the book of Philippians is an interesting one because it was written by the Apostle Paul to one of his favorite churches. It's a book that is filled with joy in the gospel and the gospel's work in this church. You'll find remarkable promises that God makes in this text to his people. Paul loved these people and he loved this church. And if I can be honest with you, when I read Philippians, I'm reminded of my church. I love you. I thank God for you. I, 
I look upon the day when I am standing before my Lord and Savior to give an account for what I have done to serve you, and I am looking forward to the day when I can present you, if you will, to Christ. I am grateful for what God is doing. In this book, Paul never rebukes this church. It's an unusual book for Paul. But instead, he encourages them in their hope and their partnership in the gospel. You'll notice in the text that we just read that it begins with the word therefore. Because Paul is connecting this section of scripture with everything that precedes it. You'll notice in chapter 1 verse 27 that Paul wrote that we should walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's Paul's burden in the entire letter. Philippians, you are wonderful people. God has begun a work in you and he will be faithful to complete that work. You are wonderful partners in the gospel, but I am I am longing for you to maintain and continue to walk worthy in a ma- of the manner of the gospel. It's his burden in the letter. He wants us to walk in this way. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he shows us what that looks like. What does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? He says in verses 3 and 4, to do nothing from selfish ambition or arrogance, but in humility of mind regard others as more important than ourselves. And then he gives us the greatest example of all who of someone who walked in a manner worthy of the gospel, which is Jesus. He humbled himself and he considered God's interest above his own. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and God has highly exalted him. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then this text that we just read begins with, therefore. In other words, Paul wrote verses 12 through 16 to connect us to walking in a manner worthy of the gospel and the life of Jesus being lived out in his people and Jesus' eventual exaltation. It's all connected. In explaining the importance of this text, G. G. Walter Hansen wrote this. Now just listen to this and see if you don't, if you don't hear the way our Americanized Christianity fits into this. He says, this text, it is this long obedience in the same direction which the mood of the world does so much to discourage. When the path of obedience to Christ becomes steep and dangerous, pleasure seekers look for an easier way. I love this phrase. Religious tourists hunting for sensational entertainment, instantaneous enlightenment, and emotional excitement will jump on the newest rides and take the quick shortcuts, but they will not be found with the pilgrims of the long, hard road following in the steps of Christ, who is obedient to death, even death on a cross. Young people, can you hear your culture there? Paul's call to unflagging Christ-like obedience will not be popular in a world that so highly values going fast and having fun and so quickly rejects enduring pain and submitting to authority. But the essential characteristic of the wise who build their community on Christ, listen, is their consistent 
obedience to him. Now you can see why this is so important to us as we're on the precipice of a new year. Long obedience in the same direction is not flashy. And it is most certainly not new. But friends, it is faithful. And its fruit will be evident over time. We grow in our faith through the day-by-day power of God at work in us. And as we grow, we become more like Jesus and we learn how to represent him in this world. So let's turn our attention to the first point in your outline, which is growing in our faith. You can feel Paul's love for these Christians in verse 12 when he calls them my beloved and he applauds their obedience. Matter of fact, if I were to look back on our year as a church, I would applaud your obedience. I'm grateful to God for what we have seen in you representing Christ and hearing stories of people sharing their faith. Are there areas that we can grow in? Most certainly there are areas we can grow in. But I'm grateful for what God has been doing in you. And I would call you my beloved like the Apostle Paul. He says, I've seen you obey. He says, not only in my presence. Meaning Paul has observed firsthand these people and their love for Jesus and their faithfulness to the gospel. But he says to them, much more in my absence, meaning as I'm away from you, I'm calling you to have a much more earnest zeal for your obedience. And he tells them then to work out their salvation. Now Paul's mind, connecting it to the book, Paul's mind is working out our salvation is walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's humble obedience, just like our exalted Savior who was revealed in verses 5 through 11. And you'll notice in Paul's unique phrasing how we're to work out our salvation. You're going to notice when Paul says the word, the phrase, work out our salvation, you're going to notice he didn't say work for your salvation. See, the preposition in this verse matters. In Paul's mind, we're working out something we already have. Paul is speaking to Philippians who he knows are Christians already. And he knows that that salvation has come by the grace of God alone, in faith in Christ alone, based on Christ's work alone. Jesus is their king. And if you're a child of God, believing those things... This is your king. And another way of saying this, this work out our salvation, is this. We are to actively pursue growing in the salvation of Jesus that we already have. Meaning because you believed in Christ and trusted him, your salvation is not over because it's seen in a past, present, and future tense. But you're also going to notice that this is a command. Work out your salvation is not negotiable. I will hear a lot of Christians who believe in the grace of God wholeheartedly will say, there's nowhere in the New Testament that has commands or laws. That's not what this text would tell us. 
This is an imperative. It is a command. It is meaning it is God's way for us to grow in our faith. God has commanded that we are to work out our salvation because we already have salvation and working out our salvation is the normal way we grow. In other words, if you're not working out your salvation, you won't grow in your faith and you probably have to ask, do you have salvation? But you're also going to know something else about this word. It's fascinating, this phrase. It's in the plural form. It's very interesting. It, it means this. To the Philippian church, you all are to work out your salvation together. Now think how individualized we make this text because we're Americans. You work out your salvation. That's not how Paul said this. Paul says you all. Meaning, talking to the church in Philippi, they are to work out their salvation as a church. It's a, it is a family endeavor that requires all of us to be involved. We together, as a church family, <clears throat> are commanded to work out our salvation, and we cannot do this without one another. But you also notice it's phrased in such a way that reveals that we work out our salvation individually and together, because we are acted upon by someone else. Notice how Paul finishes this thought in verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you. Think about it. Work out your salvation, for it is God who is at work in you. In other words, we work out our salvation because Jesus is our king and we're able to work it out because God is at work in us. What's fascinating is the work out is in the plural form and somebody is acting upon us. God's work is God's work alone. Meaning God alone is at work in you to help you work out your salvation together. No one is acting upon God to help God act. No, it's God's indisputable, unconquerable power at work in us that empowers us to work. I've been trying to think of metaphors and analogies to help this along a little bit. You know, when you get inside of a car, you, you, you have got to push the pedals to make it go. I mean, there's cars now that they're driving on their own, which is weird, right? We got that. I was, we were in San Francisco recently and they had, one of those Google cars that was driving on its own. And our kids looked over and said, there's no driver there. And I'm immediately like steering away. Like this is, what is going on here, right? When you are in a car, you have to push the pedals to make it go. But in your mind, you know what? If I push the pedal and there's no engine in this bad boy, we ain't going nowhere. That's the picture that Paul is using here. We are to work out our salvation, push the pedals, And God makes it go. We are to work out our salvation because God is at work in us. In other words, when we open our Bibles to read them, we do it. But guess who's at work in it? God. When we pray, or let me even put it further, when you have the desire to pray, we pray, but God is the one who has empowered it. 
be like walking on a beach and it's, uh, you know, there's no, there's no, and there's no footprints in front of you. And as you walk along this beach, working out your salvation by reading your Bible, praying, sharing your faith, being together with the saints, you make progress in your faith. And then you look back and you suddenly realize, wait, these footprints aren't mine. These are God's. One thing I want you to think about as we process this this morning is that the God who saved you, the God who commanded you to work out your salvation is the God who empowers you to work out your salvation. And he is working in you to accomplish in you what he desires for you. Now just think about this for a moment, that you have a God who is filled with perfect wisdom, perfect goodness, and he is working in you as you work out your salvation to accomplish his perfect wisdom and perfect goodness in you. So work out your salvation knowing that God is at work in you both to will and to work his good and perfect pleasure. G.H. G. Walter Hansen wrote this, God is named here as the one who works. He is the infinite worker. When our finite work is empowered by God's work, now look at this phrase, then our work is an expression of God's work. The priority of God's work does not change our responsibility to work. See, we see God at work and we think, well, God's going to automatically be at work, therefore we don't work. No, that doesn't change our responsibility to work. The goal of God's work is the fulfillment of God's good purpose. God fulfills his own good purpose by working in us to will and to work out our own salvation. When God's creative work is demonstrated by Christians living and working together in harmony and unity, his purpose is fulfilled. See, we work because God is at work to accomplish his perfect purposes. We work out our salvation because God is at work for his own good purposes within us. And notice the the posture of our work. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul does not mean here by terror. Now, we just had a moment of fear. And you can feel it take over the room. And he doesn't mean fear by the fear of the unknown or fear of the boogeyman or Freddy Krueger or Chucky. When Paul uses fear and connects it with us working out our salvation, he means to do it in awe, respect, and worship of the king who has commanded us and empowered us to work. It's it's the fear of a loving father, not the fear of an angry judge. Probably the best example of this is in Mark chapter 4. If you know your Bibles very well, you know it's a moment when Jesus was asleep on a boat in a storm came up and overtook the boat, and it scared the disciples who were in the boat. And they woke Jesus up, questioned his care for them, and at that moment, Jesus got up and he rebuked the seas, and the winds calmed down and the storm stopped. And then Mark wrote these words in his gospel about the disciples. And he said this, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
The moment Jesus calmed the sea, the disciples were more afraid of Jesus' power than they were of that storm. That's the fear Paul is talking about here. When we work out our salvation with a sense of awe and wonder and amazement that this is Christ who we are to obey. The sense of Paul's comments here are, we are serving the Lord Christ. In other words, he's not a tame lion. We are working in, in work, he's working in us his good pleasure, so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we are to humbly obey God by working out our salvation together. Humbly, in gratitude, in joy, in worship, and in awe. And we do this because Jesus is our King, and we are in awe of Him, and we greatly respect Him. And we know that God is at work in us to do exactly what He wants to do in us. We work because He has worked and is working. This is God's normal way for us to grow. Now I want to pause for a moment before we continue just to ask you to think about a few things. First, Are you a believer in Jesus? It's a great question to ask you right now because of what we just experienced. None of us ever know when that moment may happen for us. Are you prepared to face your God if the Lord took you now? If you are a believer in Jesus, here's a question for you. Are you working out your salvation? Because working out your salvation reveals God is at work in you. If you're not working out your salvation, you should ask yourself if you have salvation. You cannot work out your salvation if you have no salvation. This is one of those test of the Christian faith that we should examine ourselves for a moment to just ask, are we working it out? Are you utilizing the tools that God has given you to work out your salvation? The word of God, prayer, spiritual disciplines, the church, the body of Christ doing this together. Are you faithful to gather together with your church and other brothers and sisters to obey this Command, are you, are you aware that when you do that, God is at work in you? He commands us to do this because he empowers us to do this, and he's at work in us to do this for his own good pleasure. Now let's look at our second point, because let's see what this does. Right? You're going to notice there's growing in our faith, point one, And then there is becoming more like Jesus and representing him. You're going to see this in verses 14 through 16. Notice first the command given him, given here. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now notice this is coming directly on the heels of work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, if you want to know how well you've done in working out your salvation... Are you doing all things without grumbling or disputing? Now, all things covers all of life. Paul does not separate your church life from your family life, what nobody else sees. 
He's not separating here your church life and what goes on in your workplace. He's not separating here what goes on in the church and what goes on in your school. See, Paul is talking about all of life, church, home, work, politics, art, sports, all things. Successes, promotions, defeats, demotions, all things. Comforts, joys, trials, sorrows, all things. And he says, do all things without grumbling. Now what grumbling is, is the secret complaining about others or things in our lives under our breath or to close friends. Some would use this word like murmuring. Making negative comments about what goes on in this world behind other people's backs. Without disputing is a phrase that means without fighting, without arguing among ourselves, quarreling over empty issues and debating things for the purpose of dividing the body of Christ. Paul says we're to do neither of those things. And notice what this reveals. When we when we do all things without grumbling or disputing, notice what this reveals, that you may be blameless, innocent, Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. In other words, this reveals that you're walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. This reveals that you are working out your salvation. What this reveals is a power so great that you can deal with all of life without grumbling or fighting. Let me ask you a question. Just look around at the world for a moment and ask, what are they doing? They're grumbling and fighting. How different are you from that? How different were you last night when you were talking to your wife about the frustrations you have at work? How faithful were you to this when you were grumbling about what happened the other day with one of your kids? What about when you're frustrated about your your football team going into prevent defense? <laughs> See, that this is a moment that we come face-to-face with conviction. Working out our salvation is revealed in our grumbling and our fighting. The world around us fights and they grumble and they complain. But the child of God who is working out their salvation and clinging to the word of life is not to grumble or fight with others in the church. And Christians who do it this way, as Paul describes it, reveal the gospel to the world because it's so shocking. And all things, right? I mean, sufferings, trials, your government. Oh, stop, man. Now you're meddling. Political leaders. Anytime selfish ambition and pride exist, there is grumbling. And this is really convicting. Because you think of all the things we grumble and fight about. But friends, this is the way of Jesus. 
We see that example of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. I would encourage you sometime, if you think you're living in a marriage where you have your spouse doesn't get you and they're unjustly judging you, you're in an employee situation where you're an employee and you feel like your your boss is being unjust to you, I would encourage you to read 1 Peter 2, verse 18, all the way down to chapter 3, verse 7. And right in the middle of that section, you're going to find this example of Jesus where, where Peter says, we're actually called for the purpose of suffering. And he says, we have this great example in Jesus who, although he was perfect, he was still taken to the cross. Yet when he was reviled, notice, he didn't revile back. When he suffered, he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. In other words, working out our salvation is learning to trust the one who judges righteously so that we do all things without grumbling and fighting. As we work out our salvation, we are learning to entrust ourselves to the God who is sovereign over all things and who will one day judge this world and do exactly what he said he would do. And we're learning to lay our grumbling, if you will, and our cares at his feet rather than at the feet of our friends or at the feet of our own hearts. Working out our salvation is learning to entrust ourselves to the one who judges righteously. And friends, this this is God's work. That's why we need God's work in us. See, this, this is God's work that reveals to a crooked and perverse generation, this reveals our exalted king, because nothing else like this does. This is the way we make an impact in our world. And you'll notice it's, it's not by standing somewhere and disputing. It's not by arguing with others and fighting over vain ideas and crazy thoughts. Notice that it is found in the demonstration and declaration of the gospel of Christ by people who so radically trust that God is at work, that this world is wacky. We understand it because it's a Genesis 3 world. And we just simply put our nose in the face of Christ, if you will, and entrust ourselves to him. G. Walter Hansen wrote this about this text, and he said this, Paul is not describing here the way to become the child of God. He is urging the children of God to express the reality of who they are in the life and conversation of their Christian community. Instead of being preoccupied with complaining, this is a good tip, the church should be occupied with proclaiming the word of life. Listen to this. Complaining turns off the light of the church in the world. Proclaiming the word of life shines the light of the life of Christ into the darkness of the world. Let me just ask you a question for a moment. Do you see your need to work out your salvation? Now let's close by just looking at our last point, which is day-by-day faithfulness and grace. This section of scripture is filled with imperatives. Work out your salvation. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. This is how we grow in our faith. It's how we make an impact in our world. We don't suddenly arrive to not grumbling or fighting. We grow into it 
day by day by day by day faithfulness. We don't suddenly arrive by shining as lights in a dark world. We grow into it by day by day faithfulness. And let me just say something to all of our generations. You don't do this by just showing up as a flash in a pan. You do this by consistently living your life before others so they can observe the work of grace in you and in your church. It happens over time. By people faithfully giving themselves to serving God day by day, working out their salvation. And it reveals our deep need for God to work in us. Which is why this passage is filled with grace. You can't leave this passage without seeing grace. If God calls us to day-by-day faithfulness, we can be assured that he will give us day-by-day grace. Your God will work in you for his good and perfect pleasure to help you work out your salvation so that you can represent Jesus in this world by trusting the one who judges righteously. God calls us together to work out our salvation together and he is at work in us to accomplish his good and perfect pleasure to work out our salvation so we can represent Jesus together by entrusting ourselves to him who judges righteously. See, day by day, faithfulness is working out your salvation. And as the years go by, you will suddenly look back and you will see God's grace empowered you the entire time. So listen, as you head into the new year, let me just ask you some questions. What hinders you? What hinders you from day by day faithfulness? Listen, it could be a schedule thing that you need to adjust. Need to get up earlier, need to stay up a little later, you need to maybe read your Bible, you need to put together some certain Bible reading habits. Maybe it's bad habits that you've got. Maybe it's life-dominating sin that just continues to rise up among you. What do you need to do at the beginning of the year, starting tomorrow, to begin to work out your salvation? Is it If it's a Bible-reading routine, if it's humbling yourselves by practicing prayer more often, maybe it's just making church and the Christian fellowship a, prior, a priority in your life. Not, not one of the medium rocks. It's the big rock. It It lands every Sunday at 10 o'clock. You know where it's at every week. And you're going to make that part of your family's engagement in this world. Maybe it's one of those things. What What is hindering you and what do you need to drop in for this? Faithfulness. Not not massive impact. Not not sudden secrets, but just day-by-day faithfulness. And as you think through that, here's how I want you to bathe this. You desperately need God's power to work in you, to change you. John Piper said something, and I'm going to read you this quote from one of his sermons on Bible reading. And as we read this, ser- read this quote, I want to just, I'm going to interject some things into it because I want you to hear how this fits. Here's what he wrote, or what he said. He said, hear me carefully. I make no promises that reading or memorizing the Bible will automatically make your life strong, healthy, and fruitful. Or make no promises that spiritual disciplines will make your life strong, healthy, and fruitful. The Pharisees read and memorized the scriptures more than any of us ever will. 
And most of them, Jesus said, were cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not, gearing, I'm not giving a guaranteed technique for power. And that's how we have a tendency to look at the new year, get a new technique. But here's what he said. The spirit blows where and when he wills. I am not God. And the Bible or spiritual disciplines or some schedule change is not God. God is God. And we do well not to think we can manipulate him by handling his words like beads on a string or fingers on a Ouija board. I'm giving you no guaranteed regimen, device, scheme, or trick for spiritual power, health, and fruitfulness. Bible reading, spiritual discipline, schedule change, habit changes are not magic. Bible reading is not mind control or divination. I don't know if your Bible, reading your Bible and meditating and memorizing will give you power and health and fruitfulness. What I do know is, is this. Without it, without spiritual discipline, without working out your salvation, you starve every grace that God means for you to thrive in this world. There is a spiritual diet which no Christian can be strong, healthy, and fruitful. And that diet is, and I'll put it this way, he says, word of God, working out your salvation. Do you see your need for God? See, we can make changes, but we need the Spirit of God to override this. So listen, as you head into the year, new year, listen. Go knowing God is on your side. His grace is not only sufficient, his grace is here and it is present. And we go working out our salvation by having a long obedience in the same direction. Let's pray. As we pray this morning, I, I want you to take a moment. <clears throat> and even as we've probably have talked, there's been conviction. This morning, would you just deal with that before your God? Your God loves you enough to convict you of sin. Take a moment before him and confess what he is showing you. Maybe you've been negligent in some area spiritually. Maybe you have adopted a bad spiritual, a sinful habit. Maybe it's something that's keeping you from being faithful day by day. And your God is working in you for his good pleasure. And Father, we, we turn our attention to you this morning. We we cannot be faithful to this command without your desire and power in us to be faithful to this command. Help us in the new year to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is at work in us. And help us know that that's how you will help us make an impact in this world as we learn to entrust ourselves to the one who judges righteously. Father, we, we ask you to help us and change us and affect us. And as we leave here today, we put 2023 to rest. And we ask you for greater love and affection in our church 
We ask you for greater gospel witness, for more proclamation. We pray that we would faithfully demonstrate and declare the work of Christ for the glory of Christ and the good of your people and the advancement of your great name. And we pray that you would do this because you are pleased to do it. So as we leave today, we go to work out our salvation because you are at work within us. Both to will and to do your good pleasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.